Let me ask you a question. What's the most precious thing that you have apart from your salvation? Apart from your salvation, what would be the hardest thing for you to give up? What's the most precious thing you have? A child. Absolutely. A child, a spouse, someone of your family. And that's, it's an easy question, isn't it? The most precious thing that you have is your family. The most precious thing that you have is not your house or your car or whatever you might have, whatever is in your bank account. If, if you were pressed and had to surrender either your house or a family member, your house or your child, for example, you wouldn't even hesitate, would you? Because the most precious thing that you have is your family. That's what makes tonight's story so hard. Because tonight we're going to look at the test of faith. And it's one of those lessons that we don't want to read. It's one of those lessons we don't want to study. It's one of those lessons we don't want to think about. It's one of those lessons we don't want to experience. Let me say this also. It's one of those lessons, one of those texts that we're going to be looking at that you probably are very familiar with. In fact, you probably, when you saw it, you saw the title, The Test of Abraham, you kind of flipped it over, you looked at the outlines, and said, well, I know where this is heading. And when we read the text, when we get to uh, Hebrews 11 and Genesis 22, you're going to read the text, uh, yeah, I know how this story ends. But can I remind you that Abraham didn't know how the story ended? Can I remind you that Abraham didn't know it was going to have a happy ending? Abraham, well, in, in some ways he did. Uh, we'll get to that. But, but Abraham didn't know how everything was going to unfold. He didn't know what you know. He didn't have the information that you have. All he knew was that God was asking him to surrender the most precious thing he had. I know you love your family. But if I were to come to you and say, I want you to sacrifice your son or your daughter. I don't think any of us could do that. Maybe you're higher than I am. Maybe you're farther along down the trail of faith than I am. But I don't think any of us could do that. And yet, that's exactly what God asked Abraham to do. So let's look at the text tonight. So, somebody said that a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I once heard someone say that in the Navy, when they make a repair on a ship, they take the ship out to test it, and they, they run it through extreme maneuvers to make sure that it's ready for battle. And so it's not just enough to test the ship. You have to take it out and test it to see if it's ready for battle. God does that too. The test in our faith is not something that, that any of us enjoy, but it's something that all of us will endure. Various levels to different degrees. None of us enjoy the test of faith, but we will all endure a test of faith one time or another. So put on your notes here, life's trials tell us a lot about ourselves. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is life's trials. They, they tell us a lot about ourselves, first of all, I believe that the testing that we go through demonstrates the genuineness of our faith. Do we really trust God or do we just talk about it? I mean, it's easy to talk about, right? It's easy to 
tell others or even to tell God how much you trust Him, how much you, faith you have in Him. But, but really, the testing of our faith demonstrates the genuineness of our faith. Secondly, I believe that life's rough times reveal the durability of our faith. If you put that on your outline, the durability of our faith. What I mean by that is when life knocks you down, when you get disappointed repeatedly, when you don't fully understand why things are happening the way that they're happening, the question is, do you get up and keep walking? Do you get up and keep following the Lord? Do you get up and keep trusting even when things don't seem to add up or make sense? Now, can I say to you, I don't like the testing of faith any more than you do. Uh, there's nothing fun about life's testing times. I'd much rather God take my word for it, wouldn't you? When I tell God that I trust Him, I'd much rather Him take my word for it. But I'm, I must admit to you that when I look back at my own trials, when I look back at my own life, there's one thing I'm certain of. I, I have, if I have any Christian maturity in my life at all, a lot of it, maybe most of it, has come through life's hard times. Things I've learned about God. Oh, I've learned some things about God by studying His Word. I've learned some things about God, you know, by being in services like this. But, but really, the, those times when I've learned the most about God, those times when I walk through some of the darkest valleys. In fact, someone put it this way. He said, I wouldn't trade what I learned on the mountain peak for what I learned in the valley. I like that. So two questions that sometimes test our faith are these. And these are the questions we're going to look at as we kind of walk through our text today. The question is, first of all, how long will I trust God? You can go ahead and put in these notes and then we'll go back and deal with them in detail. Two questions that sometimes test our faith is, how long will I trust God? And question number two, how deeply will I trust God? How deeply will I trust Him? So, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 13, picking up where we left off. Remember now that in the first uh, 12 verses, we've learned about the faith of, of uh, Abel, and the faith of Enoch, and the faith of Noah, and then, then last week, the faith of Abraham, and, and we talked about Abraham leaving the place where he would later receive, uh, and going to a place he'd later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. And verse 11, by faith Abraham, though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father, and etc. Then, then we come to verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. You know, I, that's a be- isn't that a beautiful sentence? Don't you want to be living by faith when you die? I love that description of these, these people. Living, they were still living by faith when they died. I want it to be said of me, he, he continued to live by faith. He lived by faith until the day that he died. That's a beautiful statement. But, but then notice the other half, the next sentence. They did not receive the things promised. Isn't that interesting? They lived by faith until they died, yet they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country a heavenly one, 
They are not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We might call this test the later syndrome. We sometimes obey God and believe that life will be better because we have obeyed him. And we hope that life will be better immediately because we have obeyed him. That's true sometimes, but oftentimes it's only true in the long run. Sometimes obeying God can initially get us into a bigger mess. Have you ever done that? You ever trusted God and obeyed God and you, you did what God said and man, it just got worse. Have you ever waited on God and wanted, God, when are you going to come through on this? I've been waiting on this. I've been hoping it. I've been believing. I've been trusting. I've been reading the scriptures. I've been praying. God, when are you going to come through on this? That's what these people went through. I love the way it is described here. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And the question is, in the test of faith, how long will you obey? How long will you trust? How long? you believe how long did they believe they believed until the day they died they continue to believe and continue to trust until the day they died now but the second question is this one how deeply will I trust this is where we get into the text the test of Abraham how deeply will I trust look at verse 17 again I know you know this story you've grown up in church almost all of you I know you know this story but Abraham didn't know it. Let's try to read it with fresh eyes. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God... What's that next phrase? God what? Does that bother anybody? Does that word, that phrase, bother you at all? Make you feel uncomfortable? It sure does me. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac... As a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. God reason, or Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back. How deeply will I trust God? Notice on your notes, I said that sometimes the tests of faith are progressive in nature. Verse 8, there is an act of faith where, in, in verse 8, Abraham simply did what God said. He, it says he obeyed and he went. That, that's an act of faith. Abraham called to go to a place and later received his inheritance, obeyed and went. That's an act of faith. It's, it's marvelous, but it's an act of faith. And then, as you progress in faith, there's the attitude of faith in verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And, and so from this one man, uh, he was, and he as good as dead, became descendants as numerous, or as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. An attitude of faith says this, though I can't explain it, I believe that God's going to do what he promised. That's different from an act of faith. An act of faith is, I'm going to obey. I'm just going to do what God says. An attitude of faith says, though I can't explain it, I'm going to do what, I believe God's going to do what he promised. But then there comes a deeper faith. And that's in verse 17 through 19. That's an affirmation of faith. At the deepest level of my being, I will trust in the will and the word of God. 
at the deepest level I can, I'm going to trust in the will and the word of God. That's an affirmation of faith. There came a time when God desired to move Abraham into the deepest waters of faith. Abraham, though he had progressed in faith more than any other man, still was not where God wanted him to be. And God planned to use him greatly, so God tested him greatly. Do you remember the story of Stephen Curtis Chapman and what happened on May 21st? What year was this? Somebody help me. I remember it was May 21st because it was our anniversary. Yeah, about seven or eight years ago on May 21st, Stephen Curtis Chapman, his daughter was killed while I believe it was his son was driving a car into the driveway. His son ran over his little adopted daughter. She was killed. I, I remember it so, it was, uh, it was on our anniversary. I think it was on our 25th anniversary, actually. And uh, he went through the dark, dark, dark times through that. He and his wife and the whole family went through very dark times through that. But he came out of that experience talking about what he learned through that. He came out of that experience talking about how his faith had been strengthened through that. He came out of that experience saying something like what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's the progression of faith. Now during those trying times of life, you can move into the deepest faith you've ever known in your walk with God. In those times when it's the hardest to trust God. Do you hear what I just said? You'll enter to enter, you will enter into the deepest faith you've ever known with God when it's the hardest to trust God. And that might be a serious illness for you. It may be the death of a loved one. It might be the loss of a job. It might be a spouse that walks out on you. It might be a debilitating accident. But in those times when you wrestle with how deeply can I trust him, that's when you grow the most in your faith. And so let's look at this text, then we're going to skip over to Genesis 22 and dig in. By the way, I don't have a watch today. I need someone to help me, and it's not up there on the, on the screen. So what time is it? 6.30? Okay. I think they're putting it on the screen for me now. All you got to do is say, I don't have a watch. People start jumping up, you know. Yeah, there it is, 631. All right, thank you. My watch died. It's on this charger. All right. So the question is, how deeply will I trust God? I want to walk through this and because it sets the stage for what we're going to read in Genesis 22. Look at verse 17, Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through who? Through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So, so God, and we're going to look at this in Genesis 22, God said, I'm going to give you a son, and when was Isaac born? How old was Abraham when Isaac was born? Old. Yeah. 100 years old, Isaac was born. And God said, now, you've waited this long, and you've trusted me this far, and now here's what we're going to do. Through this little boy that you adore, I'm going to birth a nation. 
This is the son of promise. This is the son of the covenant that I'm making with you. And I'm going to bring out of this family, out of this little boy and your relationship, I'm going to bring through him descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now Abraham, have, he was, he was, he's excited as you would be. I, I'm telling you, when you get to be 100, you haven't had a kid, but now you have one. You're pretty excited, right? Huh? Now, now, well, just, just leave it there, okay? Just leave it there. Hey, hey in, in, uh, in about two and a half weeks, Lord willing, I'm going to be a grandfather. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be excited. We're going to see how good that high-def screen works here in just a couple of weeks. I'm going to be extremely excited. I can't imagine waiting for a hundred years and finally having that little boy you've dreamed of. And then, years later, years later, and we'll look at this in just a moment, but years and years and years later, look what it says here, how it's, how it's described. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he, he did receive Isaac back from the, from the dead. Did you notice that this is described here, the sacrifice of Isaac is described as Abraham sacrificing not just his son, but his one and only son. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Is that something maybe that you've heard before? That a father gave his one and only son? Say it for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So what you see in Abraham, the test that God put Abraham through was something that God did in Jesus. He gave, he sacrificed his one and only son. All right, so let's go to Genesis 22 and dig in because there's a lot of stuff here that we need to look at. Genesis 22. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, and so I'm going to need your participation. So again, the question is, how deeply will I trust God? Genesis 22. Here's how it starts out. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, what does this mean? We're just going to walk our way through and ask a lot of questions. What does it mean sometime later? We'll go to chapter 21, verse 5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Then skip down to verse 34. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So, so we've, we've established two reference points right here. First of all, the reference point that Isaac was born 
when Abraham was 100 years old. And then it says, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So we don't know exactly how long we're talking about here yet. But I want you to notice in chapter 22, verse 5 and 6. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the, what's that next word? I and the what? Boy, not a baby. Well, I and the boy go over there, and we'll worship, and then we'll come back to you. And it says in verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the, the boy, Isaac, was old enough to carry this load of wood up the mountain. So again, how old is he? Well, we're not exactly sure, but going back now to chapter 22, verse 1, when it says, sometime later... You need to understand that Abraham has watched his boy grow up. Abraham has watched his son mature and to become perhaps a young man. Sometime later. You see, God's tests don't always come early. Sometime later. After he thought he had finished all the tests he had gone through. After he had believed God and trusted in God, even to the point of God giving him a son in his old age when he's 100 years old, when you think he had gone through all the testing he needed to go through, sometime later, God tested him. Now, help me with this. What does the phrase, God tested Abraham, what does that say to you about God? Anybody? What does that say to you about God? All right. He had to find out, didn't he? That's right. Now, is, is this test the same as a temptation? No. You see... Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us. Testing is used by God to bring out the best in us. So here's the test. Let's read what he says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. What was the test? What was the test? Say it again. Yeah, but how would you describe the test? I think I'd put it this way. You know what the test was? Who do you love more? I want to see who do you love more? Abraham? Do you love Isaac? Or do you love me more? So take your son. No, we're not exactly sure. I believe he was at least a teenager. Some say he, he was a teenager or 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 a young man. But regardless of how old he was, 
I can't imagine what that was like. Can't imagine for God to say, now, now you, you take him up there and you sacrifice him. Now here's what you need to understand. And I want you, this is nowhere on your notes, but I want to make sure you get this. For these verses to have the fullest insight or, or impact, you need to understand that human sacrifice was practiced in the Old Testament days. You need to under, let me give you a couple of references. Go to 2 Kings 3.27. 2 Kings 3.27. Second Kings three twenty seven. Well, let's start verse twenty six. When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him seven hundred swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. Verse twenty seven. Then he took his firstborn son who was to succeed him as king and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. I'm, saying, I'm not saying here that God prescribed human sacrifice, but I am saying that in the Old Testament days, human sacrifice was practiced. Let me give you another example. Go to Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah chapter 19 over to the right. Jeremiah chapter 19 verse 5. The nation of Israel, or the nation of Judah, had drifted so far from God that they actually began to, to participate in sacrificing their sons to the false god Baal. Look at verse 4. For, for they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods, little g gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor their kings of Judah ever knew and they have filled the place with the blood of the innocent. Look at verse 5. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention nor did it ever enter my mind. So you need to understand that in these Old Testament days this concept of sacrificing your son was something that was actually practiced. And Abraham, when he was living in Mesopotamia, it's quite likely that he either knew somebody who sacrificed their child or perhaps, maybe, had even witnessed that. He at least probably had heard of it. So when God said to him, I want you to go to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice your son to me. This was not a new concept. This was something that people did to the false pagan gods of their day. And so God said, you know what you've seen or what you've witnessed, what you've heard about back in Mesopotamia and how these people were sacrificing their children to Baal? I want you to do that. And his heart had to start racing as he began to think about what he had witnessed or heard about. And now God was asking him to do that too? To his son? And so now we go back to the text, Genesis 22. And, and I've studied this for years, folks, but when I get to verse 3, I have to shake my head in disbelief. It's not that I don't believe the word. Uh, I believe the word of God from cover to cover. But when I read verse 3, I shake my head that he could do what he did. 
Because look what the, the, how the verse begins in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Does that phrase, early the next morning, strike you? Like immediate obedience, without hesitation. If God had said to you, I want you to sacrifice your son or your daughter, I don't know about you, I'd be trying to put that off a while. You know, I'd be trying to talk God out of it for a while. I'd be saying, well, I need to pray about this a little bit longer. Huh? Yeah. That's a good question. Did Sarah even know? Because there's no evidence that she was involved in the story. Did she even know what Abraham was about to do? We don't know that for sure, but but early the next morning, it's just an amazing phrase to me, this immediate obedience. Early the next morning. Look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So would you notice with me there that he's been walking in obedience now for three days. He's had plenty of chances to turn around. He's had plenty of time to go back. He's had plenty of time to rethink this. But for three days, he's walking in obedience toward the mountain of sacrifice. On the third day, verse 4, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Now, listen. I want you to look for a phrase. This, this, is, this is where every father, it's a gut check. Isaac spoke up to him. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I would have lost it, folks. I would have lost it. It would have just torn me up when my son asked me that. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. But what does the text, what do you think the text says in verse 8? God himself. I, it, In other words, if we had taken out the word himself, it would still make sense. God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. But but Abraham didn't say God will provide. He said God himself will provide. Possibly, absolutely. God himself. Abraham was saying to Isaac, God himself is going to be personally involved in this. 
God Himself is going to, to step into this situation. Now, let's read this story. Verse 7 again, Isaac spoke up and said to him, to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Uh, I know you know how the story goes, but while he's arranging the wood, don't you think Isaac's looking around saying, I don't see that lamb anywhere. Yeah, I, I believe you're exactly right. I believe you're exactly right. <laughs> um, just the other day, Jonathan, Jonathan's in Orlando right now on a school trip, but just the other day, he and I, you know, he grew up, we wrestled a lot, you know, and, and uh, um, just the other day, he, he said, he smiled, we were in the kitchen, he smiled and said, I think I could take you now. I said, all right, big boy, let's get in the living room. We'll find out. Thankfully, he didn't take me up on that. <laughs> but I think Isaac, if he wanted to, because Abraham was over 100 years old. And Isaac, if he wanted to, probably could have taken him. But look what happened. This is mind-boggling. Abraham, verse 9, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. What do you say to your son when you're doing that? And what is going through the mind of Isaac? It appears so. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Mm-hmm. You're, you're about yeah. You're about to steal my thunder, but go ahead. Yeah, you're stealing my thunder, but that's all right. I'm glad you're involved in it. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to verse five. Look, look what he said. Um, he said to the servants, "Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship." And then we will come back to you. Now, was he lying to the servants? Or did he really believe that his son was coming back to him? Maybe what? Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Go back to Hebrews 11. Stick your finger in Genesis 22. Hebrews 11 verse 19. Abraham reasoned. He thought through this. 
Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham, one of the reasons he had such great faith is because he reasoned, he believed that God could raise the dead. Now, you need to understand something, folks. This was before God had ever taught the doctrine of resurrection. This was before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was before anybody else had ever been resurrected. But Abraham had such incredible faith, he reasoned, he believed. Watch this, you've got to walk through this with me now. If God made the promise, if God made the promise that through Isaac, he would bless the world. If God made a covenant, an unconditional covenant, if God made an unconditional covenant regarding Isaac, and now he's asking me to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham somehow reasoned, probably by the power of the Holy Spirit, but he somehow reasoned, if he made this promise, and he's telling me to sacrifice the son of promise, then the only logical conclusion is that he's going to bring him back from the dead. He believed in the resurrection of his son before the doctrine of resurrection had ever been revealed. It's an amazing faith. It's an absolute amazing faith. Now, okay, let's go back to Genesis 22 and I'm going to finish up. Uh, go back to Genesis 22. Verse 10. Remember verse 9. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I, I believe his hand had to be shaking. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham. Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he, he went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And that's a beautiful picture of substitutionary sacrifice, by the way. One dying for another. Verse 14, so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. In the Hebrew text, it's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Boy, there's so much we could talk about. Let me just end with two or three things real quickly. Why was God going to bless Abraham? Why did God bless Abraham? In verse 18, uh, look what it says. Well, let's start. Let's, let's go down to verse 15. Let's just read the whole thing. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. 
because you have obeyed me. Can I say to you tonight before we leave that if you want to unleash God's blessings in your life, if you want to discover that God is the provider, then it, you'll find that on the other side of obedience. Because you have obeyed me. The greatest blessings of God are always on the other side of obedience. Last thing I want to show you is this. Verse 14, so Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. Bless you. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The Lord will provide. You, it can be translated and it might be translated in some of your translations, if you have, especially if you have a paraphrase. That, that name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, it can be translated, the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it. He will meet our needs as we follow and obey Him. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. And oh, by the way, you know the mountain on which Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac? Do you know what else took place on that mountain? Isn't that interesting? On the mountain where Abraham sacrificed Isaac, God would one day sacrifice his son. His one and only son. The Lord will see to it. Jehovah Jireh. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for teaching us through your word. Thank you for the amazing example of Abraham and a faith that trusts and a faith that obeys and a faith that doesn't hold back. May you be Jehovah Jireh in our lives this week as we trust and as we obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.